0: Father, indeed, we do long for you, Uh, we long for you to be glorified today, and as we uh, open up your word, Lord, I just pray that it would be done accurately and well, we would hear it rightly, and uh, we would obey it, Lord, and pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, This morning, I I meant to say in Sunday school, grace and peace, and I said, grease and pace, so hopefully that doesn't uh, carry over. Uh, (laughs) That's... We're gonna be recognizing some leaders in our church today. So we we thought it'd be a good idea, as Jim said, to teach through a biblical model of church leadership and structure qualification. And also work on the sound. How's that? Okay. I actually made that sound on purpose, just to get your attention. So church leadership, that's what we're gonna talk about today. It's an important topic, and there's evidence of that by the attention the Holy Spirit gives to the topic in his word. So we have this very detailed passage that Jim uh, read today, and that's where we're going to be in uh, this morning, is 1 Timothy 3. There's many other passages. Uh, There's a lot of attention that's devoted to the topic. So we know that it's important. But I want to think, first of all, as we get into this, why is church leadership important? Leadership of anything is important, only insofar as that which is being led is important. So I want to give you a couple of examples. I was the president of the Burley High School French Club. The goal and task of the Burley High School French Club, as far as I can tell, was to have a float for the homecoming parade. My qualification is to be president of the French Club where I didn't show up when they had the meeting to decide who would be president of the French Club. So I don't really remember. I think we did actually have a float. Uh, I don't think it was very good, but I don't really remember Not really all that important who leads that particular organization, is it? Because the goal and function of that organization is is really not important. Some of you are very concerned about politics. You're very concerned about who will be the next president of the United States, and it makes sense to be concerned about that. That's important. Uh, This country is still important in the world, and what the United States does financially, militarily, it matters. It impacts the lives of a lot of people, so that's important. Uh, But I would suggest to you the leadership of local churches is, is much more important. Because the work of the church is more important. The church's job directly is to glorify God. It has eternal implications. Right? So anybody that's involved in spiritual or practical leadership in the local church is accepting a stewardship under the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Acts 20 puts it this way. Be on guard for yourselves. This is uh, Acts 20:28, 20, I believe. Be on guard for yourselves and for the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. The church doesn't belong to any man, it's the church of God. He purchased it with His own blood. So, if you're going to lead in the local church, you're taking a leadership role over the bride of Christ. The church is the most important thing that exists on this planet. It's His church, it's His family, you are His elect. You are his bride, very precious in his sight. So church leadership is a very grave responsibility. We need to be very careful to heed exactly the word of God to the smallest detail when it comes to leadership. What type of person we would install as a leader and how we would structure leadership in the church, how we would organize the church. We want to be obedient to the Lord in all things, don't we? This particular topic, this is one that... He very clearly commands us to, and directs us on how to do this in his word. Uh, you see, uh, Jim read the qualifications. Very clear, very detailed. So we ought to be concerned about what his word says in the area of church leadership. Uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.15 that that's why he wrote the book to Timothy. The church is important. How one conducts himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth, that's a purpose for which Paul wrote First Timothy. Right? So everything about the church is important. The way we do our service is important. The way we do our music is important. Our, our, uh, our organization is important. Our leadership is important. Our structure is important. All of it. But it seems to me this is an area where local Christian bodies lack discernment. You see all sorts of church organization. And it's unbiblical, uh, much of it. In, other, in churches that otherwise are good doctrinally, they also, we also see a lot of uh, groups that appear to be either unaware or unwilling to apply the qualifications for leadership that we just read in 1 Timothy. Right? So we want to make sure we get this right. So that's what we're going to do. We'll going to start with, first of all, that there are two offices that are clearly ordained by the Holy Spirit for the New Testament church. And you see that in 1 Timothy 3. Remember, 1 Timothy 3 was written by Paul to Timothy that he would know how to organize the church. And there are only two offices mentioned. Overseers in verse 1, and then deacons in verse 8. Those two are clearly delineated in Scripture. You'll search in vain for any other offices for the New Testament church. And So those are the two offices. One referred to here as overseer. We'll see what other words are used to refer to that. The other which is deacon. So I want to start with a brief explanation of the role and structure of the office of overseer, or what we'll call biblical eldership. They will do the same for a biblical deaconate so start with overseers the office that's referred to here in first timothy as overseer is referred to by three words in your new testament three greek words the first is episkopos which is translated overseer It comes from epi meaning over and skopos meaning seer we get our word scope from that i guess that's not a scope see how much hunting i've done <laughs> right <laughs> There we go. <laughs> Microscope, telescope. It means to see. So, an overseer, literally what the word means. Unfortunately, it can be rendered bishop sometimes in some English translations. I say unfortunate because that has other implications for a bishop. You think of the chess piece, or you think of somebody in the Catholic Church that has a certain role in the church. Or, I grew up in Southern Idaho, so I think of the LDS idea of a bishop. Uh, and, and all of those are extremely unbiblical, bishop is just the word overseer. That's all it is. It's a transliteration. The word's episkopos. It became piscop, biskop, then bishop. But the word's episkopos, and it means overseer. Right? So you get the connotation from that. It means one who oversees, one who has general oversight vigilance over the church. The other word, and it's not used in this passage, but it's, I don't think... Uh, but it's used elsewhere, is the word presbyteros. It's translated elder. It literally means an older person, but it was understood by the New Testament uh, Jews as church leaders. They referred to their leaders as a council of elders. Council of elders is just the plural of presbyteros. So it's just elder, elders. It connotes wisdom and knowledge and dignity. And this is really the New Testament term of choice. If you go through the New Testament you're looking for the, for this office. That's the New Testament word of choice. The third word is poimain, and it's almost always translated shepherd. And now I was talking to Jim about this. This is where I have like a half hour of things I want to say that I can't say any of because I don't have time. Uh, In your Bibles, if you have an ESV Bible in your lap today, the word pastor is nowhere found in your Bible. If you have any other English translation, the word pastor is found exactly once. It's in Ephesians 4.11. The word pastor is poimain. It's translated shepherd everywhere else in your Bible. Okay? So that's kind of an accident of translation that's happened over the years, and and it's unfortunate. But whenever we use the word pastor, it just means shepherd. Shepherd is pastor. Okay? They're both the word poimain. The Holy Spirit gave us one word. We've translated two ways. Alright? So, it means shepherd. So that's the third word. Shepherd obviously connotes taking care of sheep. It means Taking care of, protecting, caring about them, feeding them. It's that. That's why I really like the word shepherd, and I wish it wasn't pastor because shepherd gives that gives the right connotation of being someone who's concerned about and taking care of the flock. So those are your three words: overseer, elder, shepherd, and they refer to the same office. I'm going to give you just a couple of passages to demonstrate that fact. Three words: overseer, elder, shepherd. One office, or one group of men. I snuck one in on you already, which was Acts 20:28. 20, be on guard for yourselves and for the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episkopos, to shepherd, which the verb form of poimen, shepherd, the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. So overseers and shepherds are the same. Now, who was Paul addressing? If you back up, if you're following along, and I know it's going to be hard because it's kind of topical and I'm bouncing around, but Acts 20:17 tells us these were the elders of the church at Ephesus. So Paul called the elders of the church at Ephesus, referred to them as overseers, and told them to shepherd the flock. Three words, one group. Uh, 1 Peter 5.1 is another example, 5.1 and 2. It says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion. Right? Again, same three words applied to the same group of men. So the Holy Spirit uses the three words interchangeably to refer to this one office. Right? So I got to be clear about this. It's unbiblical to talk about a pastor and elders as if they are distinct. That's unbiblical. It's one office referred to as pastor, elder, overseer. Okay. All right. So what's the role? Well, the word themselves give a great summary of the work of the elder, and I'll just use the term elder. He's an overseer. He's to oversee the life of the church. He's to be vigilant over threats to the flock. He's to be an elder. He's to act with wisdom and insight and dignity from the word of God. He's to shepherd the flock. He's to care for it, to care about it, work for its protection and edification. So it gives you a good summary. Uh if I could summarize it, I would say that the role of the elders is to bring the word of God to bear on the life of the corporate church and on the lives of individual believers within the local church body, through teaching, through example, through prayer. Uh, Alexander Strzok, Alexander Strock wrote a book called Biblical Eldership that if you want to learn more about this topic, that's, that's the book to read. And he defines it this way. According to the New Testament concept of eldership, elders lead the church, teach and preach the word, protect the church from false teachers, exhort and admonish the saints in sound doctrine, visit the sick, and pray and judge doctrinal issues. So that's the role of the elder, overseer, shepherd, and if you have to use the word pastor, that fits there too. All right, now one other thing that is important regarding elders before we get to qualification. This is something that the modern evangelical church has missed, and I I think it's to its serious detriment. Universally in the New Testament, everywhere, churches have elders. Elders—I uh, feel like I'm saying "awanas," right? I'm emphasizing that thing on the. And by the way, it's not "awanas"; it's "awana." <laughs> There's no F. But in the New Testament, every church has elders. Right? You'll never find a church with an elder. Churches were never directed to have a single elder. They were always directed to have plural elders. Let read you. It's kind of quick. I'm going to read you just a few passages. It's not all of them, just enough to show you that this is the pattern. So Acts 14:23. This is in Galatia. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord for whom in whom they had believed. Acts 20:17. I referred to earlier. From Miletus he said to Ephesus and called them the elders of the church. So elders in Ephesus. Titus 1.5, this is in Crete. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. James 5.14, is anyone among you sick? He must call for the elders of the church, and they're to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Emphasize the and, and emphasize the church, elders of the church. No question, singular church, multiple elders. You won't find a church in the New Testament that has a single elder. The idea in the Bible is always shared leadership. Okay, now there are practical reasons for that that I think are apparent upon just even brief reflection. Uh, but the Scripture doesn't give them to us explicitly. Okay? So we're just going to leave it with what the Bible says. Churches are to have plural elders. Not to have one pastor or one elder, but to have plural, elder, pastor, shepherd, overseer, a group of men who share that role. That's the biblical pattern. Two offices, this one that we're calling, I'm going to refer to as elder generally, but it goes by the name overseer, pastor, shepherd, elder, and this other we'll look at here in a minute, which is deacon. And the structure is always plurality. And the role is to teach in the Word of God. All right, now let's take a look at qualifications of elders. Now we're firmly in 1 Timothy 3. All right, I have to note first of all that all the teaching that there is on church leadership, the vast majority is about qualification, which that ought to be kind of cool. Think about that. If you get qualified men, if you get that part right, so much of the rest of it takes care of itself. If you get the right men, you get qualified men in those positions. The rest of it doesn't require all that much, as much direction. Okay? So really important to get the qualifications right. Now I'm going to go through these. I'm using ESV, and this is a list of qualifications, so the translations are quite different. I'll try to kind of keep everybody on track. Start with 1 Timothy 3 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. There's two verbs there, aspires and desires. And they have a little bit different meaning. Aspire means to to reach for, to attempt to acquire, to to want and to be taking action towards it. The other word that's translated uh, desire is most often translated or is often translated lust in the New Testament. And we think of lust as being a bad thing, a sin, but depending on what you're lusting after, it doesn't have to be. If you're lusting after the work of Christ, if you're desiring that work, that's a noble thing. Okay? You're desiring a noble task. All right? So the prospective elder has to be working towards, being, towards the office, towards being qualified for the office, right? and also has to have that passionate desire for it. And in some sense, that's the first qualification. If you don't want the job, you shouldn't have it. Right, it's first qualification. And it says, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach. And this is a hard one because if you ask anybody who's a believer, are you above reproach? No. Right? We we think of this as some sort of sinless perfection. It clearly isn't sinless perfection, or we wouldn't have any elders or deacons, right? So it's not that. What does it mean? It's a legal term. It actually refers to there being no charge against him. There's there's nothing against the man that would disqualify him morally from Christian leadership, from eldership. Right? So it's less than perfection, but it is terrifically high. I need to point out, though, this is a standard to which all of us should aspire. This is a, a standard that is really not just for elders. We ought to all be above reproach. None of us want our lives to cause a reproach to fall on the church, on our ministry, on our words, on the gospel. Right, So... That's really not specific to elders. It, but It is an umbrella term, and it gives us an idea as we go through what the specifics of the different qualifications mean, and the specific qualifications will help us understand what above reproach means. So the next one is husband of one wife. And there are giant cans of worms all over up here, and I'm not going to open any of them. What the word says, it's, it, it says one woman and man. Translated husband of one wife. Literally, it's one woman, man, or one wife, husband. And that's all it says. That's the qualification. All right. Now, there's a lot of ink about what specifically, precisely that means, and I, and I think it's worthwhile to think through all of that. Uh, but not today. Right? We just don't have time. So what it means, what we know for certain that it means, is that the man must be described as a one-woman man. That is, he's above reproach in his marital life. In his marital and sexual life, he's above reproach. We can at least say that for sure. Right? Now, one other thing that I have to make the note, it's a man. A woman can't be a one-woman man. Okay? It's a man. This qualification in and of itself precludes female elder. Now, if that's not enough for you, for some reason, read First Timothy 2, the chapter just preceding. It's all about male authority. All right, But this should be enough. If you take this even at all seriously, it's a man. Elder has to be a man. Now, you would think even Pastor Osti and her husband Joel would understand. <laughs> this that's pretty good. Jim gave me that one. He said, "Try this one out." <laughs> I'll refer to, to, to Mr. Osti again here in a second, but. I want just to make sure you understand the idea of female elders. It's completely foreign to the scriptures, and I read a lot of the justification for female eldership, and it comes down to wanting to set aside the scripture for other reasons. Um, but you can't do that. The scripture is God's word. So I'm going to put the next three together because they all they're similar in meaning. I think Paul puts them together on purpose. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable is what I have. Uh, They're translated variously as temperate, vigilant, clear-minded, alert, watchful, prudent, sober, self-controlled, of good behavior, decorous, good old word, orderly, proper. I think if you take them together, you get the idea. The elder can't be silly or foolish or incapable of being serious. I hope that doesn't preclude a sense of humor, and I don't think it does. But it has to be a, a person that knows when it's time to be serious you've met those people that are just silly all the time. And that would be completely inappropriate uh, for an elder. has to know when it's time to be serious. The next is hospitable. Uh, It's another interesting word. It translates a Greek word that literally means love of strangers. I think we missed this a little bit. We think of hospitality as what? Having people over, right? Having people over for dinner. People that you like, usually. People that you know. Right, and we call that hospitality, and I think that misses a little bit the New Testament idea of hospitality. It's love of strangers. This is having that humble willingness that to sacrifice for somebody that you don't know or that you don't know well. Right. Um, it, this is not again strictly a trait that's required of, of elders only. It's required of all believers, but it would disqualify an elder who doesn't uh, demonstrate this trait, disqualification. The next is another interesting, Able to teach. The term is very clear. It doesn't really require clarification, but it may require emphasis. This is unique to elders. This is the only one that's listed here that is not a moral qualification listed anywhere else in Scripture for people in general. Okay? It's not a moral qualification. Able to teach. It has to do with skill, with giftedness. Okay? So why would that be there? Goes to role. That's the role of the man. If he's not able to teach, he can't serve in the role. It's like having a chef that can't cook. I, that was right off the spur of the moment. I just thought of that. <laughs> I should never do that. All right. Able to teach. He has to be able to faithfully teach from the Word of God in some capacity. Uh, next, I have not a not a drunkard. You may have not addicted to wine or not given to much wine. And there's some controversy about that. I think it's plain. Uh, It it means a man who has a reputation as a drinker. Uh, Someone who is, again, not above reproach in their use of alcohol. You don't want such a man to to be serving in church leadership. That's a reproach. It would bring disgrace to the gospel. Uh, We know it's not total abstinence from alcohol. And we know that because in 1 Timothy 5, Paul encourages Timothy to take a little wine and Whether it had as much alcohol as today or whatever, there was some alcohol in wine. So it it doesn't imply total abstinence. Um, However, I would say this as an aside. If total, if the, if the, there are people in the church for whom consumption of alcohol was an offense, I think an elder is somebody who's willing to abstain totally in that case. That's just out of uh, grace to other believers. But it's not a requirement of eldership. Okay? What's a requirement is man not be a drunkard, not be addicted to wine. Uh, Next is not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. You may have not pugnacious, great word, or peaceable. Uh, Again, you put those together. An elder has to be gentle, patient, appropriate. It's another term, reasonable, gracious, not quarrelsome. Uh, Elders have to deal with conflict. They have to deal with sin. They have to deal with error. And so they have to do that gently. They have to do it gently. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not willing to fight for the truths of the faith, for their church. But they don't relish the fight. They're not aggressive. That's not the first thing they do is say, oh, this is a good opportunity for me to go straighten this thing out, you know. They do it with fear and trepidation. Look, elders are sinners, saved by grace, no different from the people Uh, that they deal with, sinners. And so we have to remember the gospel in our own lives as we approach uh, someone for correction. Now, it's more difficult than you might think. And i got to be careful how I say this, but when you are approaching someone who especially is steeped in some sin and you're trying to show them from the Word, very often the mind is a little bit muddled and it's hard to get your point across. And so there is a very strong temptation to be less than gentle, and you you can't do that. You have to be gentle in your approach. Uh, It's a qualification for eldership. Now, next is not a lover of money. I said I was going to mention Joel Osteen again. I think I just did. Uh, it, it, It literally means lover of silver. Again, uh, you know, don't need to say too much about it. It ought to be obvious that a man whose priority is his own wealth and not the welfare of the flock is just not qualified to be an elder. He just, he has his priority in the wrong place. He's not fit for service. Now, it isn't true that every false teacher went astray in pursuit of money. Because I can think of some that didn't. Uh, they went astray in search of other sins. But it's pretty much, it's almost true, isn't it? I turn on TBN and Daystar and whatever all the other ones are on your, on the high end of your satellite dish. I did that last night, uh, for a few minutes. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Every one of them has a little thing going across. Call one 800 glob lee blee and get for your donation of harvest money seed planting time, you get this book. Alright? You can't go a minute without somebody talking about sowing a seed. And sowing a seed always means giving me money. Alright? If somebody is up here telling you that to, in order to receive a blessing, you ought to give them money. They're lovers of money, they're disqualified from eldership. They're not probably not believers. They ought to shut up and sit down and stop embarrassing the rest of us. Alright? That's awful. Shouldn't happen. They're disqualified. Okay? So two words for you on that. Then he in, right. Okay. Uh, next, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? I love this. Paul gives us clarity on it himself. He explains it. He explains why it's a qualification. If a man can't manage his own family, uh, how will he care for the church? Think about it for a second. My family loves me. I hope that wasn't a surprise to anybody. <laughs> they do. And Diane married me because she, she loves me. At least she did then. And now she's started, I don't know. But I've been there for my kids since they were born. You know, I was there with them. I've been taking care of them every day since they've been born. Uh, I know them. I know their fears. I know their dislikes. I know what motivates them. I I know them really well. So if I can't manage my household with some dignity, knowing all of that and having that natural affection there already, how could I possibly care for a flock of people that I don't have that same knowledge with, that same level of intimacy? It's impossible. It's unreasonable. And Paul points that out. He can't manage his own household well with all dignity. not qualified to be an elder. He must not be a recent convert or may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Uh, We love new converts. New converts are are great, awesome, but they're not qualified to be elders. By definition, they would lack the knowledge that would render them able to teach, first of all. Uh, Second, they would probably lack the maturity to have these other spiritual qualifications. And third, even if they had the qualifications, they wouldn't have had time to show them, to demonstrate them. And so they wouldn't be qualified. So to, to uh, be too hasty in the laying on of hands, as Paul uh, calls it later on in First Timothy, elevating a new convert to eldership, it would most likely result in conceit. And as Paul puts it, that's the condemnation of the devil. It's the same sin. It's not the same punishment, but the same sin of the devil, thinking more highly, than you ought of yourself. So, moreover, you must be well thought of by outsiders so that you may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This genius, right? The Holy Spirit is amazing, brilliant. This is a great qualification for leadership. He's got to be well thought of by outsiders. Got to be consistent. It's too easy for us to come in here and be nice to each other. And shake hands and oh, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. It going? Right? You know I mean? we we can put on a, a fake mask. We can dress up and act up. But the people we work with know us, right? They see us under pressure. They see they see how we act, and we ought to be consistent in our walk. Now, does that mean that every pagan in the community has to think that, that Jim is nice and and inoffensive? No, a lot of them don't think that. And that's good, right? Because the gospel's offensive. If you're out there sharing the gospel and and teaching truth, you're going to be offensive. You're not nice. It's not nice. Right? But it's loving. Right? The man's walk ought to be consistent. That's what we're looking for. Where the outsider could say, well, I don't believe it. I don't, I think it's offensive that he thinks that I'm going to hell. But at least his walk, his life is consistent with what he says. Right? It's consistency. As someone who is inconsistent will fall into a snare of the devil. They'll they'll bring a reproach on the church. Nobody's going to believe what happens at Kootenai Church if they know that the elders are out, you know, bringing reproach on the gospel during the week. Right. So these are qualifications for elders in First Timothy and Titus. One has a similar list we want to examine. Very similar. But you can see that the man must be above reproach, must be able to teach. And to have the credibility to bring the word of God to, the, to bear on the lives of the congregation. So now we want to look at the second office, the office of deacon. So before we look at qualifications, we, ha- we have to understand what is a deacon and what's the role of a deacon. We want to start with the meaning of the word deacon. It's a, another transliteration I mean that just took the Greek forward. It's diakonos, deacon. And it just means, the word means servant or minister. It's often translated that way. It can mean one who waits on tables. It's translated that way here, or you'll see in a, in a passage here in a second. But it came to be a general uh, term for service, a general term for Christian service, service in the church, and then became a term for an office that was held by people who were especially good and especially gifted at this this ministry of mercy within the church. Right? So we can learn that much from the word itself. To learn a little bit more, we have to turn to Acts 6. Right? And I'm just going to read you a few verses from Acts 6, the first four verses from Acts 6, and I'll explain what I mean. Acts 6, 1 through 4. He says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now that, to serve tables, is the verb of of diakonos. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So I'm going to say, I think Luke recorded this so we could understand where these two offices came from and what the relative roles of the two offices were to be. And we have to be careful because these men are not called deacons, and nowhere are there any elders here, because at the time we had apostles. But I do think Luke gave us this so we could understand the, the genesis of the idea that there's a group of men who's, who have one role and a group of men who have another role. I don't say this is the choosing of the first deacon. I don't necessarily believe that. But I do think the passage is at least a historical model for the role. It gives us an idea of the relative function okay, of elders and deacons. So if you go that far with me, then we see the role of the elders. It's filled by apostles in Acts 6. Uh, but it is to as they say, devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Again, bringing the word of God to bear on the flock. And then the role of the deacon in this case was to organize and perform the charitable programs of the church, and and I think that continues on today. Now, in this specific case, it was the daily distribution of food and probably money, Uh, but I think more generally now it's any of the ministries of mercy of the church. So the role of the deacon is primarily to minister to the needs of the congregation, physical, material, financial needs of the congregation. That doesn't mean there isn't an emotional spiritual component to their service. There would be, but that's not the idea. That's not the main thrust of the role. Uh, Struck again, he wrote another book. If you want to know everything about deacons, Struck wrote a book for you there too. It's called Minister of Mercy, the New Testament Deacon, and he defines it this way, very simply. Deacons are collectors of funds, distributors of relief, and agents of mercy. So deacons are not elders. Elders are not deacons. Right? We don't want to get that mixed up either. Deacons do not sit in general oversight of the church. Overseers are elders. Okay? So there's a difference in function and role. Uh, deacons are primarily responsible for serving the flock in a physical material way. It doesn't mean that these, that the, the role can't overlap in practice, but the role is, the offices are different and have different Thrust. All right. So now let's go back to 1 Timothy 3, and this is where we'll we'll end in 1 Timothy 3 as we go through the qualification. I'll we'll start with verse 8, 1 Timothy 3, 8. It says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, or men of dignity, or worthy of respect, grave, honorable. Again, very similar to elders. We're looking for serious men. They have to deal with people in, in tough times, people who are vulnerable, people who are hurting. They need to be dignified. You don't want a silly guy in the role. I like the next one. Not double-tongued. Uh, you may have sincere. The word is dialogos. It, it literally means two-tongued. And so there's some uh, thought about it. It could mean one of two things. It could mean that the guy talks so much that he needs two tongues to get it all out. All right? <laughs> or it could mean insincere, duplicitous. That he's, We say talks out of both sides of their mouth. Uh, don't know for sure, don't want either one, right? So whichever it means, uh, you don't want somebody that's not able to control their speech. You don't want somebody who's who's a liar, who's insincere or insensitive. Not in this role. Then it says, not addicted to much wine. Uh, it's identical to what we saw before with elders. Uh, you just can't have a man dealing with these personal issues of people or hurting people who can't be trusted because... He's not above reproach in his use of alcohol. Not fond of sordid gain, again, identical to the idea of not a lover of money. Now, this may be especially true of the deacon. Deacons generally handle financial resources of the church. They handle those ministries of mercy of the church. And so it's important that they're above reproach in this area. Now, the next one says they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Must hold to the revealed truths of the faith and have a clear conscience in regard to what Scripture teaches. I think that's both... In doctrine and in practice. So they can't have some doubts about any fundamentals of the faith. Fundamental truths of scripture. They can't harbor doubts about that. They need to get that figured out before there's somebody that can represent the church and ministries of mercy. They also can't be harboring some secret sin. They have to have a clear conscience in regard to sin. Not that they're sinless. But they're not holding on to some sin and and refusing to repent of it. Now... Really, this is our emphasis for today. Let them also be tested first, let them, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Tested, examined. This is not just interviewed. This is not just having a guy that you don't know very well and asking him a few questions and say, hey, you're in, buddy. This is testing, examining, observing. Now, because of the also in there, this may apply to both deacons and elders. It makes sense that it would. Again, Timothy's told not to be hasty in laying out of hands. That applies to elders and deacons. So both ought to be observed in their role before being qualified, both deacons and elders. Now, it's uh, in in our church, here's how we do it. And this is what you're seeing today, or we'll see here in a minute. Back at our congregational meeting, we uh, identified a a couple of men that we saw, and this applies to all of our deacons, men that we saw serving in the role. We as elders, we saw them serving in the role. And we thought, these men are acting as deacons in our church. In order to recognize them, we ask you to test them, to observe them. And so we've let some time pass and, and let that observation happen. And, and that's, that's how we do this. Right? Testing is important. Examining. We, we don't have people in any leadership role in our church that we haven't tested and examined and given some time so we can get to know them and observe them. Right? Testing is important because we want to sh- them to show themselves to be, look at verse 10, blameless. Blameless. It's identical to beyond reproach. Can't be something in their lives that disqualifies, that would bring a reproach on the gospel. Okay, verse 11. More worm cans. Their wives, mine says, yours may not. This is ESV. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. You may have the women, likewise must be, There's a lot of discussion about what, who are these women. The word for woman and the word for wife is the same. So we don't know if it means wives or it means women. So in the interest of time, I'm going to assert that this is a reference to the wives of deacons and I think also the wives of elders. I think it makes the most sense textually to see it that way. It also makes a lot of sense practically. Think about it for a second. Is a man going to be effective, if he's, if he's married, is he going to be effective as an elder or a deacon if he has a wife that doesn't meet these qualifications?
1: Nope.
0: Okay. Elders and deacons learn things about people and they have to be sensitive, confidential, dignified. Okay. And so their wives will learn those things too. And they have, to, they have to also be dignified, not slanderers, not sober-minded, but faithful in all things. The word slanderers is actually the same as the word devils. Uh, gossip. And can't have that. Now, there are some that say, no, what this really means is female deacons, deaconesses. Uh, I don't think that's true, but if you do, you're in really good company, and I'm okay with that. I won't, that's not something to to make a big uh, problem over, but uh, I don't think it fits. I don't think it fits the context. I don't think it fits First Timothy 2. Right. And even if it does, if it did mean deaconesses, I think the point that we ought to be concerned about the, the, the wives, the character of the wives of prospective elders and deacons, that's still a true, a true point. Down to verse 12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. That's again identical to our discussion of elders. It's a one woman man. Managing their children in their own households well. Again, identical to discussion of elders. A man who can't lead his household can't be entrusted with the role of a servant leader in the church. So those are the qualifications of deacons. Now, there's one difference between the qualifications of elders and deacons. One primary difference. What's not listed in deacons? Able to teach. Because that's not their role. That's not the role of the deacon. Does that mean that deacons can't teach? Of course not. If a deacon can teach, he'll, he'll teach. But he doesn't. it's not a requirement. Right? Can a deacon be tall? Can a deacon be short? Can a deacon be... Yeah, it's not listed as a qualification. It doesn't mean they can't be that. They have to be the qualifications, but that doesn't mean they can't be anything else. Okay, so we have deacons that are wonderful teachers, and that's fine. It's okay, but it's not their role. Again, it just shows us the difference in role. All right. So, elders and deacons. Do you think the role of deacon is is unimportant, or somehow less important than the role of the elder? They're both essential. They're both vital. They both demonstrate the gospel. Jesus was concerned with the physical welfare of people. And the church needs to be too. Or cast doubt on our whole understanding of the gospel. I'm not promoting the social gospel. But the gospel includes caring about people and loving them. Jim talked last week about loving one another. The elders love the church by sharing truth with them. The deacons love the church by ministering to them, serving their their material, financial, physical needs. That's why. Look at verse thirteen. That's why the word says, "For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus." Right? The Holy Spirit thinks the role is important, and uh, I've found Him to be right on everything. Okay, so just to recap. There's two offices, one we refer to generally as elders. You can call them overseers, you can call them shepherds, you can call them pastors, you can call them elders. That's one role. The other role is deacon. In both cases, you must have a plurality. That's the biblical model. More than one elder, more than one deacon. That's the that's the biblical pattern. So I hope you've gained some clarity on that. I wanna go back to verse 10, again, about testing. Uh, so at our last meeting we recognized two men. That would be Jamie Slippy and Thomas Leo. As men who were serving as deacons in our church. They were acting as deacons already. We didn't ask, we didn't go to them and say, hey, you know what? You might make a good deacon someday. Why don't you start acting like one? <laughs> we didn't do that. And so we asked the church at our last meeting again to observe them and let us know if there's anything in their lives that would disqualify them from serving as deacons in our church. We we're asking for testing. Now, surprisingly, we heard no such objections. <laughs> uh, honestly, I, I know both of these guys pretty well, and um, they're deacons. They've been acting as deacons. Uh, if you've ever been on the receiving end of someone acting as a deacon, it really does show the love of God. It shows the gospel uh, in, a, in a very real and vital and important way. And, and we feel like these men are serving in that way. So I want to ask the elders to come up. First, Jim and Jess come up. And then while Jess is making his way up, we'll have uh, our deacons come up. And if you don't know, our deacons are John Kinney and Vince Trinidad. or Vince end up? Uh, there he is. Lanny Keller and Dale Schultz. You guys come up. And then we'll have Thomas and Jamie come up as well, and we and uh, Jim will pray for
1: them. I just want to add one thing to what Dave has already said. Um, when we recognize men who serve in certain offices in our body, the intention really is not to honor or glorify them. Um, because anytime somebody is recognized for an office like this, the thing that qualifies them for that office is they don't necessarily like the recognition. So we're really not here to recognize them and to shine the light of boy these guys are the best in the congregation these are the ones it's it's nothing like that it is that we really recognize the work that god does through them we thank god for the giftedness that he gives to his body the gift of elders and the gift of deacons and in the infinite wisdom of god what god has done to protect his church by structuring it the way that he has and by revealing to us what he wants for his local church it is it is a guard and a protection for everybody that is here um the plurality of elders is a guard and protection for the elders. The plurality of deacons is a guard and protection for the deacons. Um There's always a danger when you have one person who rises to uh, the top of an organization and controls everything in it. That is a that is a hazard. It is a danger. So it is in the infinite wisdom of God that he has structured things the way that he has, that he has qualified people the way that he has, and that he has gifted people the way that he has. And uh, in doing this as a, a congregation, we're just simply thanking God for what he has done in our body and through our body. So will you stand with me as we pray for these men? Our gracious God, we do thank you that in your infinite wisdom you have done what you have done for your church and that you continue to minister in and through the men who are up here and through this entire body. We thank you for the gifts that you give to your people, that Christ, having secured our salvation on the cross, has then given to his church gifts to be used for the edification and the service in the body. We thank you that you have given every person here who is in Christ a spiritual gift, to be used for your glory and for your sake. And we thank you for the gifts that you have given to all the men who are up here represented. May the honor and glory for all that they do before others and also in quiet and in secret that so many people do not see, may it go to Christ Jesus. May you continue to increase the number of of godly men and women in our own congregation and of servants and of those who lead and teach. May you continue to multiply us as a congregation and continue to bless us through these men and through their giftedness and to the way that your spirit uses each and every one of them. May you be honored in and through your church. And we pray that you would protect these men, that you would guard them, that you would keep them, make them a blessing to their wives, to their children, to their families, to their friends, to outsiders, and may all that they do and the use of their gifts be a constant reminder of an expression of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.